Welcome back to Killer Fun. I'm Christy. Today, today, Jackie isn't here. Jackie had a family emergency and had to go out of town. And I know we had told you last episode that we were going to watch the movie Seven and talk about it. But Seven is one of Jackie's favorite movies. And I couldn't sit here and talk to you about Seven without her. So if you're the praying type and want to pray for Jackie and her family, that would be awesome. If you're not, you know, good vibes, that's super cool too. We love those. So if you just send those Jackie's way, that'd be great. But today we have story time with Christy. So my dear sweet husband, who does not care about true crime at all, really, heard about a book. He was listening to NPR one day on the way home from work and heard about this book called The Royal Art of Poison, Filthy Palaces, Fatal Cosmetics, Deadly Medicine, and Murder Most Foul by Eleanor Herman. And do you know what he did? He went and bought me this book for Christmas. So nice. So, so sweet. And I have to say, this is how much I know that my husband loves And trust me, because this book has definitely not exactly a prescription, but definitely descriptions of all kinds of foul, deadly things. He's not worried that I'm going to poison him. So, you know, if your spouse buys this for you, it's a sign of trust. Eleanor Herman writes both fiction and nonfiction books. Uh, Her fiction seems to be primarily fantasy, but kind of a in Victorian sort of era times. And her nonfiction is also primarily Victorian. She is a lot of interest and joy in studying royal history. So that you can definitely see that that is part of her writing style for both fiction and nonfiction. She obviously has an interest in both the time period and some true crime, which is super cool. We like that. So this book, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. It's made up in three parts. So the first part is Poison, Poison Everywhere. The second part is The Poison Chronicles, where rumors of royal poisoning meet scientific analysis. And then the final portion, which is Poison in the Modern Area. So I'm going to give you a little brief overview of each section, talk about it, my thoughts on it. There's so much good stuff in this book. You should absolutely check it out. The first part, the first portion of the book, poison, poison everywhere. Oh my gosh, you could not pay me to go back and live in like the 1500s because it was gross. Crazy world, a lot of smells. I'm going to tell you. There was poison, everything. Everything was poison. If you were trying to murder somebody, you could poison their food, their drinks, their garments, their jewelry, all kinds of stuff. Not particularly difficult to do. And then there was all kinds of poisons that they didn't even realize they were poisoning themselves. It's kind of amazing. So they had quote-unquote poison detectors and poison antidotes. So poison antidotes, you know, That's a real thing. But detectors? Mm, Not really so much. Um, I mean, you can. There's this really, really cool thing that you can get now that's if you 
need to test your drink, like if you're at a bar, to make sure it hasn't been tampered with. They have this little thing where you can put like just a drop of liquid in it, and it'll tell you whether there's some nefarious substance in it. And it's a shame that we need those things, but super cool that it's available to us. So we have poison detectors now. The poison detectors back in the olden days, less effective. Let's be honest. So there was a unicorn horn, which a particular king was extremely proud of and proud to use. He thought it kept him safe from many a malady. It was actually a narwhal horn, but it was found on the beach. So, you know, broke off and washed up and they were pretty rare because where most narwhal horns going to end up? The ocean floor. So the few that wash up on the beach were very well prized. And of course, they didn't see what creature they came from. They assumed that it was from an actual unicorn. If you know where to find an actual unicorn horn, do let me know because I would absolutely like to check that out. It's You can get almost anything on the internet now, but I've never seen a unicorn horn that was legitimate. So when you think about like royals being poisoned, you think, well, they had tasters. Yes, they had tasters. But most poisons took probably several hours to even start to work. You have your taster taste it. 30 seconds later, you're eating the food. Not really very helpful or effective. It just means you're both going to die, basically. In addition to that, cosmetics contained many many a harmful substance. So in their quest for beauty, they're actually really, really harming themselves in a lot of ways. So arsenic, lead, mercury were all super common. I didn't know what a lot of these things actually did. I mean, I know that arsenic, lead, and mercury are all pretty poisonous, but what do they actually do to the body? Well, arsenic comes in a lot of different colors, which makes sense. It would be something that people use in their cosmetics. People who were using it as poison usually used the white arsenic because once they crushed it up and put it in food or drink, it was virtually undetectable. But it didn't have to be the white variety for it to go into the cosmetics. So the symptoms of arsenic poisoning are all manner of GI issues, extreme thirst, kidney failure, whole host of other issues, and eventually death. Maybe don't use the arsenic-based cosmetics. Lead, we're a lot more familiar with this one because it, and it was in paints for so long. Really a long time, only you know, 50, 60 years ago, did they realize, oh, maybe we shouldn't be putting this dangerous heavy metal into our paints that children you know, might lick or whatever. So the symptoms include water on the brain, paranoia, headaches, blindness, and coma, all kinds of awful, nasty things. Then there's mercury. This one we're probably also a little more familiar with, at least the symptoms of it, because we've all seen Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) So it's a heavy metal that was also used in cosmetics as well as art supplies. So in addition to a whole host of issues in the mouth and kidney damage, the most visible and concerning effects were to the central nervous system. It caused tremors and shakes and a whole lot of mental deterioration, i.e. mad as a hatter. Fascinatingly, 
ingesting mercury isn't toxic because the GI tract doesn't absorb it. There's an interesting story in the book about Lewis and Clark taking mercury pills with them to use as laxatives on their long trip because they didn't have access to a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables while on their long trip. While ingesting it isn't poisonous, absorbing it through the skin is extremely dangerous, as well as inhaling the fumes, which was used for a treatment for a whole host of diseases where they would like burn it and stuff over and you would go in and smell the fumes on purpose, you know, causing brain damage. They didn't know. They didn't know. Then another beauty assist that they got was from a plant called belladonna. They would put its juice into their eyes to dilate their eyes to make them look more beautiful and it make their eyes sparkle as well. So they, oh, it means beautiful woman, but it's also called deadly nightshade. With a name like deadly nightshade, It's probably not so great for you. Maybe don't use it in your cosmetics. So in addition to the makeup containing all of these things, they would often use arsenic to try and limit the lice that ended up in their wigs because they had these big elaborate wigs because that's what they did. It was the fashion. So to try and ameliorate that, they would put arsenic on their scalp and on their wigs to get rid of the lice. And it worked, but it also poisoned the people. With all these heavy wigs and all this cakey makeup that they wore, you know, lead-filled makeup, it blocked out the rays of the sun. They were very interested in having very creamy, lovely, light-colored skin. So they used this makeup, and they wore these big wigs, and they had long sleeves to try and keep the fleas and stuff at bay. And they suffered from vitamin D deficiency. Not a big surprise, but not something that had really occurred to me. Dad, I'm hungry. Hi, hungry. I'm Dad. The podcast where nerdy dads talk nerdy fads. We talk life, entertainment, and give advice to those who never asked for it. Like, anytime I do anything, my brother calls me a thought. What do I do? Or, best college degree for a supervillain. So go smash that like button find us wherever podcasts live uh, where's that jared a magical place called the internet like spider-man and elsa's shipping videos <laughs> dad i'm hungry wait in addition to cosmetics being very dangerous medicine was also fraught with poison and frequently used to great detriment to the people of that time i was really surprised to learn reading this medical portion that autopsies at least for royals and nobles, were really common in like the 1500s. They would do autopsies to test for poison and to look for cancer. They understood that there was cancer, but not what caused it. It was really interesting. I didn't know that that was an acceptable practice. I know that there were artists that got in quite a lot of trouble for dissecting human cadavers to study how muscles under the skin were attached so that they could make their art more realistic. I don't know if that was something that was prohibited because they weren't doing it for medicinal purposes or because they didn't have permission from the families or I I don't know why, but I didn't realize the autopsies were a big thing. They were evidently 
despite the fact that they did autopsies, they had some really pretty ginormous misconceptions about how the body operated. They believed that there were evil humors in the body, and that caused most, if not all, maladies that these four different types of humors sent vapors up to the brain that caused you to become ill. I, I, I don't know. It seems ridiculous now. I always wonder when I look back at stuff like this and I see what kind of things we thought were just bananas centuries ago, what will they look back on centuries from now and say, can you believe the people in 2019 did this crazy thing? What were they thinking? I'm sure they will. I always wonder what it is about today that they will look back on and think we were nuts too. So these evil humors that caused all these illnesses... They were countered by all kinds of extreme and very dangerous, dangerous measures. Until the late 1800s, heavy metals were used to treat all kinds of skin ailments. And as we've mentioned, mercury and lead, bad news to use on the skin. They also used human and animal feces, both fresh and preserved, usually dried if it was preserved. And they were common items to need to get from the apothecary. So when you look back on medical treatments from bygone days, very often you'll think of bloodletting and the occasional leech as a common form of treatment that was fairly ineffective. And that's true. Those things were common and ineffective, but they did a whole bunch of treatments that resulted in projectile vomiting and diarrhea, and they were induced by terrible means and were prescribed and frequently very detrimental to the health of the patient. In addition to medicine being dangerous and cosmetics being dangerous, the environment itself could be quite poisonous. There was no indoor plumbing, so it was not a place of good smells. Let's put it that way. There was no water treatment plant, so you drank water at your own risk. They didn't have antibacterial soap, and they didn't really see a need to bathe more than once a month or so. In fact, they thought it was dangerous. They didn't wash their hands very much. Alchemists who were trying to turn base metals into gold were polluting the air all over the place. They were burning all different kinds of things, and they were crazy too because they were in this little room burning mercury to try and turn it to gold and making themselves crazy. So this first section of the book, it's fascinating. I'm going to be upfront with you. It is kind of gross. There's, there's, there's a whole lot of talk about bodily functions. It's unappealing, but fascinating, but gross. The first section of the book really did feel kind of long to me because there was so much gross stuff in it, but it was really interesting. Still worth checking out. So part two, The Poison Chronicles. This is my very favorite part of the book. It talks all about, oh, 20 or so monarchs and noble type people, monarch related people, royal related people. They were thought to have been poisoned either at the time they died or are known to be poisoned. Now, this part was really, really fascinating. Anytime a monarch died, unless it was like in a battle or from an obvious physical accident, their carriage overturned or whatever, they suspected poison. 
So the book covers, as I said, about 20 of these, and they range from shortly before the year 1300 until the early 1800s. So what the book does really well is it gives us really fascinating details about the person's life if we need it, because a lot of these people are fairly unfamiliar, still fascinating, but fairly unfamiliar. It gives you details of their last days, their symptoms, information about any autopsy that was performed at the time. I guess there were some records, which is kind of amazing to me. And then whenever possible, she's gotten current examinations of remains of these people. So they've, a lot of these people have been dug up or their bodies have been found and they do examinations on them with more modern technology to kind of see whether their deaths were legitimately poison or what else might have caused it. So that was really, really interesting. Even the people you don't know or people you haven't heard of before, obviously you don't know them. You didn't live, you know, 500 years ago. You didn't know them, but people you've never heard of, their stories are fascinating, absolutely worth a read. It didn't matter if I didn't know who the person was. I still really enjoyed reading about their death. It seems that nowhere was safe in Europe from the Vatican to Russia, from England, all the way down to it, back down to Italy where the Vatican is. It was a very dangerous place for a noble to live for a good 500 years. I thought the most interesting ones were people that I had heard about or known about, but not realized that they had been poisoned. So I'd heard of Agnes Sorel. I'm trying to remember where I heard about her. I'm sure it was in a television show, The Tudors, or there was some royal show that was on the CW. I don't know. Anyway, I'd heard of her before. Her name was familiar to me. She was a mistress to King Charles VII of France. She was a fairly young woman at the time of her death and died in childbirth. So that in itself wouldn't be really all that shocking or surprising. A lot of women died in childbirth back then. Fair few still do. But she had a gastrointestinal issue and not what they called at the time bloody flux, which was significant bleeding after childbirth. She had this gastrointestinal issue, which was much, much less common. Her remains were found and examined in modern times, and they found that the amount of mercury was more than 100,000 times higher than normal levels. That's not something that could happen as an accidental overdose. It was believed she actually legitimately was poisoned. Then there's a pretty famous artist, Michelangelo Caravaggio. He's not that Michelangelo. Caravaggio is how he's known. He was a very famous artist, very, very talented. His name's familiar because his brilliance in art was absolutely undeniable. I didn't know much beyond him after his art. He was known for having uh, some realism in his art. He depict the Holy Family and their garments might be torn or their feet might be dirty. And this was a way of him saying, God can use anyone. That was part of his faith. The man behind the art was extremely short-tempered, 
in a very, very violent manner. He got into a lot of fights, all kinds of stuff. He died because of a fever. Was it caused by his fast living, the prostitutes that he pimped and slept with, the young men that he had relationships with? Hmm, who knows? Or it could be a more insidious reason at the hands of an artist adversary, an inadvertent poisoning by his tools, perhaps, with the paints having such high levels of heavy metals and other toxic materials? Or was it a disease that they didn't understand? That one, I'm not going to tell you the answer. You should read this book. Finally, Napoleon Bonaparte. By the way, he was average for his height at the time. So he was like five foot six by today's measurements. And at that time, in the early 1800s, late 1700s, early 1800s, that was an average height of a man, particularly in Europe. He had a roller coaster over his life. He was so-called lowborn. He built an empire, not just in Italy, where he was from. He was not from France. He was from Italy originally. And then in encompassed much of Europe. After the Battle of Waterloo, you know, that battle that made famous by that ABBA song. Napoleon surrendered to the British because he was afraid that the French king was going to have him murdered. And he figured he'd rather be alive and in British exile than dead at the hands of the French king. They, the British exiled him to a island called St. Helena, which is a tiny little place off the coast of Africa. Now, Napoleon's father had died of stomach cancer, and an autopsy found the same in Napoleon. Evidently, it's hereditary. But Napoleon insisted that he had been poisoned. I don't know. He probably, they think he knew that he was dying of stomach cancer, but he insisted he was being poisoned because that's what you do when you're an exiled monarch of your own making. That said, he did have 22 of 30 symptoms of arsenic poisoning. Hmm. So the true culprit, we don't know for sure. Probably the cancer, but it could have been somewhat more nefarious. So the third part of this book, we've finally gotten here to the end. Part three is poison in the modern era. We've spoken about poison on our podcast before. In our episode, I Can See You Clearly Now, we talked about radioactive poison. That's quite a journey, let me tell you. And that kind of poison is primarily and most fascinatingly the focus of this portion of the royal art of poison. Eleanor Herman, our author, relates powerful Russian politicians to the infamous Italian Medici family who were powerful from the late 1300s to the 1700s. So both of these groups have used poison for political gain and expediency of thwarting of their foes. One just had far more effective means than the other. Let me tell you, the radioactive poison is far more dangerous than the arsenic or mercury or any of the other dangerous and crazy things. There's a couple of portions at the end of the book 
One's titled Pick Your Poison, and it has descriptions of poison and where they come from and their behavior in the body. Then there's the Poison Hall of Fame section, which is, you know, like your yearbook superlative section for poison, most painful death, easiest death, fastest acting, the worst poison for your complexion. It's really fascinating, really interesting. And, you know, if you were inclined, it might be a useful starting place for a would-be poisoner, which is why I said my husband is very sweet and trusting man. And thankfully, I'm not homicidally inclined. I would suggest that if you're going to do some research on the internet about poison, though, and you're not making a podcast about it, and therefore indicating that you're not interested in poisoning, I wouldn't use your home computer. You know, it might be worthwhile to go to the library and do your searching there so that you don't have a browser history that indicates poison. So that's a brief overview of this book, The Royal Art of Poison by Eleanor Herman. I really did enjoy it. It was really great. I didn't read it specifically for this podcast, though it has come in handy since Jackie couldn't be with us today. If you want to hear us talk about more poison, we've done that in the past. So you have some episodes you can go back and listen. So I already mentioned that there was the I Can See New Clearly Now episode That one's pretty fun, and we do talk about some radioactive poison. Also, there was Pandemic at the Disco, where we talked about biological warfare, which is not the same but related. And then we had uh, back early, early in our podcasting adventure, we had Growing and Hunting, and we talked about the Omelette Poison Gardens in the UK, which is absolutely fascinating. They have some belladonna growing there for sure. So next time, Jackie will be back. I promise Jackie will be back. We are going to go ahead and talk about Seven. Now, Seven, we had told you, you could watch on Netflix. (sighs) They removed it from Netflix on April 1st. Can you believe that? So annoyed because I had watched all but the last 30 minutes because I'm super annoying to watch a movie with when I watch one for this podcast because I pause like every two minutes to make some kind of note, try to decide what I'm going to research later. I watched them alone and that was a movie I couldn't just like have on while the kids were home because it's fairly intense and fairly graphic. So I had watched all but like the last 30 minutes of it, which I had not seen it before. I thought I had and I had not. I was very surprised at many of the things that happened. So I did have to go and rent it. The good news is if you want to do a streaming rental, it's only a couple of dollars most places. You could probably find it cheaper. You might even be able to find it playing on television somewhere and record it. I couldn't find it in the space in which I needed to watch it. But we will be watching Seven. Long story, a little bit longer. We will be watching Seven next time, and Jackie and I will be talking with that. So we hope that you'll join us, and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. We appreciate you listening to us. You can find us on the social media, on Facebook, Killer Fun Podcast, exploring the intersection of crime and entertainment, on Twitter, at Killer Fun Pod, or you can send me an email, killerfunpodcast at gmail.com. We will see you next time. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum.
Forge audio. Dream it. Build it. Share it.